It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for the latest episode of Gibbo's Corner. And we're titling this one, United's Biggest Ever Flops. John has come up with a list of 17 names from mm. down the years, and we are, for some, going right back in time. And this list contains, in John's opinion, the biggest ever flops to pull on the black and white shirt. Before, John, we get into your list, and before I ask you to define what flop means in your view, mm. I'm just going to run through the final results to the last episode of Gibbers Corner, which I'm hoping many of you tuned into. And that was John's uh, top 10 Newcastle United captains in order. And we then asked you guys to vote and to see if you agreed with John's order and you could uh, reorganise the list. And um, I've got the results here. And it's fair to say that the list has been somewhat uh, reorganised. So what I'll do is I'll go down from 10 to 1 with the final results. And then I'll remind you guys of... John's list. So at number 10 of the fans result and thousands of you you guys voted. So thank you very much for taking part. Number 10 is Rob Lee. Number 9, Stan Anderson. Number 8, Colin Reach. Number 7, Jimmy Schooler. Number 6, Glenn Roder. Number 5, Huey Gallagher. Number 4, Kevin Keegan. Number 3, Joe Harvey. Number 2, Bob Monker. And number 1, Alan Shearer. Now, John's list had Alan Shearer at number 1, Joe Harvey at number 2, Bob Monkey at number three, Huey Gallagher at number four, Jimmy Schooler at number five, Kevin Keegan at number six, Stan Anderson at number seven, Colin Veach at number eight, Rob Lee at number nine, and Glenn Roder at number ten. So the biggest mover from that list, John, I would say would be Glenn Roder. You had him at number ten, and the fans voted him in. At number six. Yeah, yeah. The, the biggest surprise I got, and, and there's no surprise, is the wonderful, wonderful thing of doing this sort of uh, uh, podcast is it's a matter of opinion. And it's like I did as a young man in the boozer with my friends, spend a whole night discussing exactly things like this. And what makes it stimulating is the, the difference in opinion. Um, the biggest surprise when you give me that list and the one where the eyebrows shot up was Glenroder and 
Jimmy Schooler. Um, Glenn Warder, bless him, will be thrilled a bit to be rated so highly in, in above the great Jimmy Schooler. Uh, um, I'm flabbergasted, but not surprised, because first of all, if you're young, it's often who you remember, isn't it? Who you think... Of. And you've got to bear in mind, he is within a lot more people's memories than Schooler, who was back in 55. And, of course, what reinforced the fact that uh, Glenn Warner was probably a, a good leader is that he then become a manager of Newcastle United, so he showed that for him. But dear old Jimmy Schooler, who, who was a, a bit forceful in most things that he did, would probably have me by the neck if he, if he thought that he rated beneath him, beneath Glenn, who was a good pal of mine, Glenn, so I'm not having to go, but Schooler was the epitome of a fearsome, wonderful warrior-type leader. 1955, not only was he the last domestic Newcastle skipper to win anything, but he, um, but he, he ran the whole final with the balls from right off, as they were in those days, to outside left, Schooler to Mitchell. Ripped Manchester City to bits. Wonderful leader, wonderful player. They won the first division title with Portsmouth. It's called first division then, not Premier League, and it was Portsmouth, for goodness sake, who were a great force in those days. So, yes, I think Jimmy would be dischuffed with that. Glenn would be well thrilled. As for the rest of it, the big man was always going to be number one in my book, your book, and everybody else's book. Uh, I think even in the other nine's book, uh, the Shiro would still be number one. The obvious other thing, Harvey and Monk, uh, flip of a coin. I could have had them the same way around as the fans have had them. Um, and to a lot of people at the time, Monk was said to be Joe Harvey's son. He was a replica of his manager. Um, and I think that's what Joe recognised in him. He saw himself. So those two can be flipped quite easy. So, um, yes, uh, wonderful, good fun. Uh, Glenn's thrilled. Jimmy School has just joked. Mm. Well, thank you guys for voting on that. We're not going to have a vote this time around, but do get in touch with me uh, either on Twitter or via email if you want to uh, have a discussion about John's 17 biggest United flops. I'm sure there's some names in here which you might be scratching your head at. There's some names that won't be included that you will most certainly probably think should be included. But uh, as John has alluded to, it's all about opinion and this is John's opinion, but we would love it if you guys get involved. Let's dive straight in then, John. Can, define... Before, before I do, before we do, can I just say, define... I was going to ask you, is, yeah, define yeah. a flop. Yeah, um, the idea with this list was that a flop would... To be a flop, you had to be bought by Newcastle United. Not a little lad that's come up through the academy, gotten the first team, out of his depth, never heard of again. No, that's not a flop. That's a, that's a little lad looking at his level, etc., etc. These are people Newcastle United thought was worth spending money on, some of them big money, and then they never, never did the business. So that is the only yardstick that was used for this. You had to be bought in. You couldn't be a local flop, if you like. There are some in this list, and as we get down, I'll, I'll tell you the, the one that caught me by surprise. But there are some in this list that I think people will look at and, and think, well, when he, this person was signed, we were scratching our heads and we weren't expecting big things, mm. but they've still been included. Is it to do with maybe the price tag? Is it's that... to do with the fact that Newcastle bought them thinking they would do so well for us and improve the team. Whether we thought it or not, Newcastle did it, so wouldn't buy them. And then they, they spectacularly didn't improve the team. 
There we go then. And we'll start with one of the most frustrating characters of recent times, and it is John's first entry, so number 17, and it is Emmanuel Riviere, signed in July 2014. John from Monaco, £6 million. Mm-hmm. Scored just once in the Premier League. Oh, I mean, we've got a load of those, uh, the uh, one goal wonders, as, as we as we call them, and we'll be I'll be mentioning that later on. This guy, is 31, came in here. There was a string of failed deals that before he was bought, um, and there was a lot of pressure put on him. He was here two years. He managed one Premier League goal. I mean. I had to pinch myself and stir my memory to realise that he'd actually been here because there are people that are flops and you forget about them. And and, and he fits into that. I always remember Bob Paisley telling me when I went, I went and spent three, four days with Bob Paisley at Liverpool when he was the most successful club manager ever. They won the European Cup three times in a blink of an eye. And I said, what's your secret? And apart from anything else, he said, Gibbo, one of the things you do, because the greatest manager is not the one that makes no mistakes, the greatest manager is the one that makes the least mistakes, and especially in the transfer market. He says, what a lot of managers try to do when they've made a clangor in the transfer market, they try to justify it by keeping playing him in the hopes that he's going to come good. He said, I did the exact opposite. When I stuck a lad in the team and he didn't do it, I got him out the team so quick and sold him out the club so quick, the fans forgot he was here. He said, and, and that is the secret. And I think a lot of these guys we're talking about now fall into that category. Let's You almost forget that they were here. And certainly for me, Riviera was one of those. It was kind of the dying end, wasn't it, of this the French Revolution in Newcastle yes, that had so yes, much success and it started to tail off. And he just never looked... Comfortable. No, he never looked. And it's very difficult. You can pick up gems in France. And, I mean, we have done that a lot in the past. Kabai is a, is a huge example. And, um, you know, Bruno is a current example. Um, but the standard is so much different that you've got to judge whether a player can step up or not. And occasionally you get that awfully wrong. It, it was... Uh, uh, the chatty man's dad, the Graham Carr, that was buying everybody for us at that time out of France, and they were coming up by a barrel load. Remember, all the fans were had uh, onions round their neck and um, berries on, and they uh, they didn't by the time we got to Riviera, man. But uh, there we are. He's he's bottom of the pile. Yes, he, he has had one prolific season since. Unfortunately for him, it was in Serie B. Um, the other moves he's had haven't gone quite a plan, but he did score. 13 goals uh, in Serie B not not too long ago. Yeah, I've got a feeling that Serie B is not like the Premier League. No, not at all. Um, On to number 16 then. We've gone for Dave Besant. Now, this is a proper flop. You know, there's flops and then there's proper flops. Uh, And it was a proper flop because this guy come with a fanfare of trumpets. Riviera didn't. Uh, Besant did. Uh, he was Newcastle's record signing in 1988 at 850,000. At that time, that was big, big money. That made him Britain's costliest goalkeeper. And he had come to huge prominence, if you remember, when he was the first man to save a penalty in an FA Cup final at Wembley. Was That was against Liverpool. 
and as a result of that penalty save, Wimbledon won the cup and he went up as the skipper and received the cup. So he was big, big time at the time. And he signed with another Wimbledon guy, centre-half called Andy Thorne. And uh, this was part of Willie McFall's rebuilding of Newcastle United, but it wasn't one of Willie's most glorious moments. Um, uh, Besant was nicknamed Lurch because he was six foot four, one of the tallest goalkeepers. And the surprise is that Willie McFall was a goalkeeper, and he, so he knows a thing about goalkeepers, and he picked Besant. But if you look at Besant's record that I just read out there, he was good. He, uh, at that stage, he only played 24 League and Cup games for Newcastle and was chucked out by Jim Smith and being rebuilt. But it didn't, a lot of, for some reason, a lot of the crazy gang, once they came out of the crazy gang, weren't superstars elsewhere. There's always going to be the exception, but they, they weren't superstars elsewhere. Andy Thorne wasn't a big hit at Newcastle. Right, I'm right in thinking that. Uh, Besson was part of the, the the influx of players after Newcastle had sold some of their some of their stars. Yes, yeah. So did, did, does that stick in the mind more when he's only there for a season? He's got this big price tag, and because of who left to fund him coming in, uh, where the money's come from, it, it kind of it kind of hurts fans a little bit more. I think it does. Um, I mean, if this was at the start of Newcastle losing what will be Isley and Gascoigne uh, under different managers. But, you know, you sell three of your own gems, your own jewels, your Geordie jewels. That gives you some money. But they, they weren't sold so that we, we could rebuild. They were sold because, oh, we were greedy. Let's have the money. The young players will take the money. These big clubs want them. It doesn't happen too often to us. And then you've got to spend the money. So Willie goes out and he spends it this way. And with Besant, it's it's spectacular. I mean, Thorne could have been in this uh, in this list as well. But he's not because Besant was the greater one of the two out of Wimbledon. But as you say, a good goalkeeper. What I mean, there must have been a little bit of excitement when he when when he was signed because they were thinking. Well, oh, there, well, there was, could... there was because you almost set up for a fall if you're the record club record signing, the most expensive goalkeeper ever in this country. You've saved the penalty at Wembley, and you're the skipper that picks up the the cup. There's there's not much above that to to get you. There's an awful lot below that for you to fall into a hole, and. Um, it was a disaster, and I always remember afterwards, you know, when, if you fast forward to when, I think it was Wood Hullet, if I've got this right, when Wood Hullet was manager in Newcastle, he wanted a goalkeeping coach, and he wanted one of two, and one of them was Dave Besson, and Dave Besson refused to come because he said to him, no, he said, I was a disaster up there, I didn't enjoy it. And the fans certainly didn't enjoy me, and they'll remember me if I come back as a goalkeeping coach. And he turned it down. My old, my old mate Simon Smith, who was my goalkeeper at Gates, had got it instead, as it happened. Mm. Uh, got the goalkeeping jo uh, coach's job, but he refused to come back, so he knew himself that he'd had a bad old time up here. Moving on to number 15, and it's, uh, it's Alex Bruce. I'm going to say not the one that uh, some of our younger listeners might be... Uh, thinking and scratching the head and saying, when did he play for Newcastle United? Not that Alex Bruce. Um, <laughs> and it's not a list of manager flops. <laughs> um, but this 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 Alex Bruce, I'm so intrigued by, I'll be honest, I'd never heard of him. I had to Google it. 
Um, but there's a lot of flops that younger people will not have heard of because there were flops, uh, you know. So but I lived through these guys, so I remember them only too well. A striker signed from Preston, and what really stood out for me, John, was that he was very prolific at Preston. Only Sir Tommy Finney has scored yeah. more goals for Preston. So what went wrong? Well, that in Newcastle. That wasn't the top division to start with. It can be prolific uh, at your level, uh, but when you step out of your level, you're no longer prolific. Everybody's got a level. Um, you can get a, a, a very, very, as you know, a very, very good Premier League player, but he's not an international player. Uh, every, there's, a, there's a level to everybody unless you happen to be Pelé or Maradona or Cruyff or, and then the world's your oyster. There isn't a level. Uh, I remember this guy he, 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 very well. He was a lovely lad and therefore should I put him in the list? Yes, because it's not about lovely lads, it's about flops. Um, he wasn't tall, he wasn't wasn't powerful, uh, but he was bought for big money, 150000 But in those days it was big money because it was during Newcastle's 1974 Cup run to Wembley that he was bought in. Uh, and he was going to, you know, you've always got to build a side for the next Newcastle side. But he was never going to be Super Mac or he was never going to be John Tudor. And those were the two people pr that were holding down the first team Geordies at that time. He stayed for three seasons, but he only made 24 appearances and scored four goals and then was shoved him back out to Preston, where he had a reputation. Um, and Newcastle tried everything, as you quite often do, to... to Try to accommodate him. But like Paisley said, don't try to justify him. Get them out. Newcastle tried to justify him. And in a way, they did what they did. They attempted then to do what they did with Joe Linton. They tried to play him deeper in a more midfield role. But he hadn't the build of Joe Linton and he wasn't capable of doing it. And he, he was a very nice lad, bought out of his depth and then sent back to where he could grow in his own garden. When you saw Newcastle were, were in for him, and you know you, you looked at his record, I mean, had you had you heard of him? Was he this yes, up yeah, and coming oh, striker? Uh, yes, we'd heard of him because he was scoring goals, as you say, and you always hear of goal scorers. And I didn't see enough of him. I knew what he'd done at Preston, and I knew Newcastle was scouting. Uh, it's a very precarious business being a scout, you know, because every everybody judges whether you're a good scout or not with hindsight. You've got to hang your hat on on Bruce. If Bruce makes it, you're a great scout. If Bruce doesn't make it, you're a rubbish scout that bought these guys that couldn't make it. And a lot of top clubs, top flight clubs, were looking at him to, to see whether to take a chance. Unfortunately, somebody else didn't take a chance. We did, and it didn't work. It just big like, time didn't work. It's just like you said, just the levels. Yes, just the level. He was The top flight of English football was a level far too high for him. Went back to Preston, scored 135 goals in 301 games. So, Aye, but look where Preston were and look where they still are. Uh, it, it is a different level to the top. Well, one question I'm going to ask you, just reading up here, is that when he went back to Preston, Newcastle signed John Bird in exchange and apparently it forced Bobby Charlton to, to quit as Preston manager. That, that's absolutely correct. How did John Bird do? Did well. Uh, did well was never going to send off was never going to be a superstar but he was honest to goodness uh, he was like not in style but he was like um, Dan Byrne 
Dan Byrne's never going to be a superstar. So he's not going to be Philip Albert. He's not going to be, uh, you know, the pings of all all over the shop. He's going to be honest as the day is long, and he's going to do the job he's bought for. It's quite amazing, isn't it, that John Byrne, and I know this is to be a fact because I was around and doing it at the time, Bobby, he was sold behind Bobby's back. It was the only time Bobby was a manager, and he was infinitely not cut out to be a manager. And by the way, the Milburn clan weren't, built, uh, weren't meant to be managers. They were meant to be unique footballers because Jackie Milburn went and managed Ipswich and was never, bless him, had enough about him to be a man, enough nastiness about him. He was too nice. And and Bobby Charlton was the same. And Bobby, when Bird was sold behind Bobby Charlton's back, Bobby Charlton resigned and never become a manager again, become a director at Manchester United. And I always said to Birdie, who lived up here in, in a very good uh, uh, painter, he, he sold a lot of paintings, lived down at Whitley Bay, and I always said to my son, you forced the great Bobby Charlton to uh, quit management because he, he loved you so much and wanted to keep you. That on your Put that on your tombstone when you die. Yeah, it's quite the uh, accolade, isn't it? And just one final question about... Alex Bruce, you mentioned there he was never going to be a Supermark, he was never going to be a John Tudor. No, no. Newcastle at that time did struggle to replace, especially someone like Supermark. How difficult was it, the fact that Supermark had set the bar? And when you were talking oh. about strikers and Newcastle have had, he is, you know, with, yes. without doubt in the top three, four, five. Oh, so without, without a shadow. Though. How he, difficult was it for Newcastle to find huge. a replacement? I, I mean, he, for me, he would be probably in the top three of the Newcastle number nine legends, which would be Shearer, him and more Jackie. Um, everybody else tucks in underneath that. Huey Gallagher probably would be in that, but nobody around here actually saw him to be able to say how good he was, but the record books tells you how good he was. Um, hugely difficult to replace, but Shearer was hugely difficult to be. When you've got a genius... You don't you don't go and replace Ronaldo or Messi in a pump with somebody as good as Ronaldo or Messi, um, because they aren't around. There's very few of them, and we were very privileged to have them. And we we couldn't replace them. We didn't replace them. You can replace them with pe people that are better than Alex Bruce was, but you you can't replace them with anybody near being as good as they were. They are exceptional. Does it become like an act of desperation, you think, because you're, you're not scrapping around just to bring in a goal scorer. You're scrapping around to bring in someone that you, you really want to live up to that legend and it, that, that can never be done. No, no. I mean, you know, without thinking about it off the top of your head, how often has that happened at club level? I'm not talking about a national level where you can have a lot of good centre-forwards, which is what we're talking about. Uh, very, very, very difficult. Um, you know, once you get a legend centre-forward, you've got to know when he retires, you're going to take a step down because mm -hmm. you're not going to produce another one that follows automatically. I mean, Supermac didn't follow War Jackie and Shearer didn't follow Supermac. There's gaps in between before these lads come round again. Mm, quite quite a though, few years. Though, though, got to be said, and this is off the top of our head and we've got to get back to the list, we got very close to producing superstar to follow superstar to follow superstar during Keegan's entertainers when we had Andy Cole followed by Les Ferdinand followed by Alan Shearer what a run that is and I've done a feature in the Chronicle about the takeover years you know the takeover one year anniversary and I've said 
comparing the current Newcastle rebuilding with the rebuilding of the entertainers, which I was very involved with because I was part of the Magpie group, very involved in seeing it from the inside. Nothing to do with it happening. I hasten to add. But Newcastle are finding how difficult it is. They've spent £85 million on two centre-forwards so far, Chris Wood and Isaac, and I'm not. And, and Isaac could become anything and could become very big. But if you're going to compare them to the entertainers and they produce three centre-forwards of Andy Cole, who scored 40 goals in one season for Newcastle, Ferdinand, who was so good he was nicknamed Sir Les, and Shearer, just the legend, then... That takes some doing. That, that was uh, some golden period for centre-forwards. Three players who, of course, are nowhere near this list of flops. <laughs> um, no, no, they're the exact up other end. Uh, number 14, yep. you've gone for Bill Patterson going all the way back to 1955. I was going to say, Bill Patterson, and there's only sort of me that would remember, but I wanted to include him for the older people because um, it was such an amazing thing at the time uh, you know we talked about how uh, difficult it is Andrew to replace a legend uh, and uh, if you're a centre forward you should never replace a local hero because you're not going to match up to it and Peterson was bought by the directors to replace Frank Brennan now Frank Brennan the rock of Gibraltar a hugely commanding figure um, who played in the cup finals for Newcastle, was disgracefully treated by the directors and thrown out because he dared open a, a sports shop, uh, which was an immediate challenge to Stan Seymour uh, Senior, who ran the club at the time, who had his own shop, and was not just thrown out, but was thrown out from playing in the FA Cup final and winning the cup one year to a couple of years later, playing non-league football for no shields. That's how big the hole was and he was buried in it and bungling Bill Bill Peterson was bought to replace him he was a big Highlander uh, he was a ball player rather than the guy Brennan was who ate centre forwards for breakfast he, this guy was a ball player and the harder he tried to impress the fans the worse it, it became from uh, he ended up only playing 27 games for us before Newcastle cut their losses. Um, and it must be, and got rid. And that's the sort of pressure replacing a local hero brings. And it must be said in his defence that uh, when he went back over the border into Scotland, uh, he signed for Rangers and he won a load of domestic trophies with him and appeared in the final of the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1961. But with respect... Scottish football, Rangers and Celtic, you play for Rangers and Celtic, you're going to win things because they're the, by far the best two sides. You come into England and it's a, it's a bit more competitive. And so Bill went back and he restored his reputation north of the border, but here an unmitigated disaster. But then you could argue whoever replaced Brennan had a good chance of being that. Mm. Number and by the way, he didn't replace Ben in the cup side. Bob Stokoe did. Yes. Yes, and actually, um, if I'm not mistaken, at uh, the time of recording this, I believe it, today was the it's day... It's his birthday. Yeah. Was, it's his birthday. Bob's birthday. And Alexander Isaac. Yes. Happy birthday to him. There we go. Um, for number 13, you've gone for another striker? Yes, I have, because this 
guy was one of the great disasters. And if he'd been well, more well-known, he would have been in the top three, probably, in terms of being a flop. But but he's an unknown flop, if you know what I mean. Mike Larnock, he's the man that never was, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Bill McGarry, when he was manager in Newcastle, signed him from Clyde Bank in 1977. We got two strikers out of Scotland at the same time. Mark McGee was the other one. And Bill McGarry signed them both without having watched either of them, which turned out to be a huge folly. Uh, McGee was a good player, in fact a, a very, very good player that did well for us. Lorna most certainly was not. He couldn't trap a bag of cement. He made 14 appearances for us in the first team, 14 orthodox centre-forward, never scored a goal uh, in his 14 appearances and was shuttled back double quick over the border I'm in a rather unique position here because um, on Tyneside because I actually did see Larnock score goal for the reserves I was at St James's Park where the reserves played in those days ball was played into the box he went to control it it was bouncing round his knees it kept bouncing forward he kept chasing it he kept trying to control it and when he eventually stopped, there were both him and the ball were in the back of the net. He'd run the ball in the back of the net, still trying to control it, and it was his goal. They all count. They all count, you know. They do, for the reserves, but it's not going to make you uh, take on Alan Shearer's record, is it? Um, flying forward into more of the, the kind of the present day, we've got number 12, and it's uh, Henri Savé. Now, he was signed from... Bordeaux in 2016. He was again part of that gang, the dying French Revolution, as we mentioned earlier in the show. Signed for five million. You know he hadn't done bad in in, in Ligue 1. He'd, oh. he'd, you know he'd won uh, the French Cup, but he ended up John, and I'm sure you're about to get into maybe just why he ended up playing just five times for Newcastle. Oh, I mean, it, it is absolutely unbelievable. I called him the invisible man when he was here. Um, and I'm going to go into it in a second, but you're absolutely correct. He had a decent record when he came to Newcastle on paper. He remains Bordeaux's youngest ever Oh, player. on paper. It's hard to believe with hindsight now, I haven't seen him in Newcastle, although I think I've seen Dodo and Jasmine Dean as often as I've seen Servet in a Newcastle United strip. Um, but it, it, it's... It's the folly we had at that time, apart from thinking France produced a book. Because if you remember, the French national side was dominating world football. So you're thinking there's a lot of gems in France. Graham Carr knew the French scene exceptionally well. We got obsessed with signing Frenchmen. But what was worse was Ashley greedily wanting to make money on these people by eventually selling them for twice as much as he, as he bought them for, and give them to protect his interests, ridiculously long contracts, five, six-year contracts, and on good money. Now, when they flop, they're not going to leave. This, if you're sitting on 30,000, 40,000 a week, and if you leave, you're going to get 15,000 a week, you're not going to leave, are you? If, if you're wanting to make money, and, and that is what your job's all about this guy the invisible man i mean he is one of the worst signings um we've had and he lasted 
for so long here. As you say, he was a hero that cooked the funds. Uh, he played for Senegal in the African Cup of Nations final. Um, and, and, and he was one of the youngest people at Bordeaux. He was, he had some pedigree. Uh, but we signed him in January 2016. Steve McLaren, can you remember him? He might be in another Unfortunately, flop. I can't. <laughs> he might be in another flops list if we're doing other type of flops, i.e. managers. Uh, signed him from Bordeaux, five million. Uh, and we didn't get rid of him until five and a half years later, 2021. Just kept coming back, didn't he? Every pre-season, he'd just be there. Yeah, yeah. He kept coming back pre-season, training for a few weeks and going off on loan again. Um, it was absolutely nonsense. He played a few times during the tail end of the 2015-16 season when Newcastle were relegated, boom, boom. And managed, but managed only five league appearances for Newcastle, which worked out it cost us a million pound a game to play him. He cost us on his league games a million pound a game. Uh, he went out on loan three separate uh, loan spells, um, spent the rest of his time training with Newcastle with no chance of playing. Uh, ironically, <laughs> And it is ironic. The last of his five league appearances, which was back in December 2017, and a few travelling Toonami fans will remember this. He scored his one and only goal for Newcastle with a curling free kick in a 3-2 win at West Ham. Unfortunately, true to uh, his normal form before that, he presented them with a, a Goal that put them ahead in about four minutes. Uh, so, but he redeemed himself with this curling free kick into the top, and that is his legacy at Newcastle United. Not one of our finest signings. Not one of Graham Carr's finest signings. If he's going to be remembered, Graham Carr for midfield, I'm sure. I'm sure he would want it to be Kabai and yeah. not this guy. Oddly strange, because I remember Steve Bruce being asked about him and, and, and saying, "Look, he's he's a great character on the camp. You know that." The squad, the squad, love him. He, and he, you know, he was he was good in training. But there was just something for whatever reason. He, the, the most, there was just a ceiling there, and he could he could never break through because he wasn't good enough. And it's more of a surprise that he wasn't good enough if you look at his record, where he was Bordeaux's youngest ever player. He played in African Cup of Nations final. But these things can happen in a team game. I mean, this this kid that's just played for Arsenal is fifteen. It'll be in the record books like Sir, was it, it, it Bordeaux. Will this guy become a superstar, this young lad? And I certainly hope he does. Or will he become a Francis Jeffers? Remember? The yeah. Went will, to he, will he be in some Arsenal flop list? Well, no, he won't, bless him, because he's, he's 15 and locally bought up and he wasn't bought. But it doesn't always follow that it, 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 because you've done something that goes into the record books. That's a lottery, yeah, isn't quality, it? That's a lottery. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, on to the next one, number 11, Albert Luque. And this is, for me, John, the, 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 the players you've got on, the, on this list, there's one or two that, um, for me, are at the top of my list and players that I really wish had done well. And Albert Luque was one of those, you know, I, I, probably because I was a young Newcastle United fan when they signed him and I was excited that they'd signed this this guy from La Liga and it just went belly up very very quickly and I remember his debut and then I remember the injury picked up against Fulham and for me I do wonder if that was a bit of a you know one of those sliding door moments because mm. he, he got a goal ruled out for offside as well against Manchester United if I remember correctly in his debut yeah. well and when again, you're offside it doesn't count well yes but again maybe one of those moments that that goes in does everything does everything change no, for him? No. Just wasn't good enough? No, just not not good enough. Uh, everybody wanted him to be, I think he scored against Sunderland, didn't he? He did in that 5-5-1. Five, uh, five, yeah, yeah he it? scored against yeah. Sunderland. 4-1 uh, maybe it was. You know, um, we've had some... For a club that has a history of number nine legends, which Newcastle have, and a wonderful silver thread through the history of the club for number nine legends, it's amazing how many rubbish ones we've had as well and this fella fits into that I mean 9.5 million pound in back in the day wasn't a bag of sweets like um, you know you've spent some decent money on them uh, he'd been prolific in La Liga they all were that's why you take a chance but it doesn't mean that they're good enough to do it here and he wasn't he was supposed to take Newcastle to the next level uh, and unfortunately, he couldn't hit a bond door at three paces. He scored three goals in 34 appearances before he was axed. And he he went on, I think, had very brief spells with Ajax in Malaga before he hung up his boots. Um, probably be remembered in the main year for scoring against Sunderland because anybody that does that for Newcastle is is half decent or thought of as that way. But And Alan no. Shearer's testimonial. He scored an Alan Shearer's testimonial against Selic. Well, you could have bought on Anton Deck and they would have probably scored in a testimonial if you let them. Um, Alan Shearer scored a penalty in that, didn't he? And he was so injured, he, he couldn't did. walk up to take the penalty. Now, Luke, you know, since moving on from Newcastle, has kind of said he was played out of position. And I suppose a, a few people in this list would, would, would probably yep. claim that. There's one name that doesn't make this list, and it's MB, where, remember the centre-back they signed, um, who had captained... The top of my head, I think it was Montpellier to the to the league championship um, back in 2011. I think it was he'd captain. He came in as a centre back, and his claim is that you know Pardew played him out of position as a left back, and that didn't work. 
you know, could players like Albert Luka, who's number 11 here, and be one who hasn't made the list, is that a, can that be used as a defence? It can in my next one, number 10. Who is? Um, who is John Donald Thomason. And he's only here because of what happened to him with Newcastle, and not because he was not a good player. Um, I don't think it applies to Luke Haynes. I, I, I mean, naturally, bless them. If you don't make it, you're going to have an excuse. You've got to, you've got to have an excuse for to yourself, apart from anybody else. But John Dahl Thomason had a legitimate excuse. Is it quite telling? And I, I say this, knowing who's coming up in the rest of the list as well. Mm. But a lot of these players who flopped at Newcastle, especially the forwards haven't then gone on to do anything. Like we've mentioned Alex Bruce, but he was a level down. Yes. You're going to mention John Dal Thomason. He he did go on to do something, but very few players in this list actually, when they left Newcastle, went on to do anything no. other than flop at other clubs. Is that, do you think, a reaction of what happened at Newcastle or is that just no, their, level, it, it, their it, level? It's their level because they've gone back to their level. Uh, um, but even then, haven't cut the mustard. Uh, and that's because they're beneath the standard we anticipated they could reach, and they couldn't. The exception, uh, number 10, John Doll Thomas, and I felt a bit uneasy putting him in a list of flops, but then I realised that we are just talking about Newcastle United, and at Newcastle United, he was a flop. I'll tell you why in a moment, uh, but elsewhere he wasn't, and this was a decent player amongst a lot of dross and for that I do apologise to John Dahl if he's listening in Blackburn at this uh, at this moment being a manager there um, I mean when he came it was unfortunate circumstances he was going to get off to a bad start Kenny Dalglish had killed off the dream team at Newcastle which was Ferdinand and Shearer in tandem they we were always told they would never play in tandem. They both played the same way. They both were target men. They would get in each other's way. They couldn't play together. They did play together and they were absolutely fabulous together. Uh, Dalglish decided that he wanted to play Shearer on his own up front and he got rid of Ferdinand. It, that was when he brought in a 20-year-old um, who was trying to replace a, a, a fan favourite in, in Les. He arrived in the summer of 1997 and he was wanting and expecting to operate just behind the main striker. That was his position, to play behind the main striker, chief support, number 10, if you like. Um, but because of circumstances, Newcastle didn't play him there. Uh, Dalglish pushed him up front Um out and out up front like a centre forward and, and Thomason said in years later that he only played two matches in his real position at Newcastle United which was he was not an out and out in your face centre forward it was a shame though wasn't because I mean Alan Shearer picked up that injury and they looked like they were working together quite well in the pre-season and then there was that career threatening injury that Shearer picked oh, up shocker and then Dalton, John Dal Thompson was just thrown right into the mix and the responsibility fell on him to, to score the goals oh uh, I, and playing out of position um, 
there's no question about that. And if you remember, they tried to bring Ferdinand back. They tried. To, he was on his way to Spurs, literally in London, when they made a phone call and said, "Would you like to come back?" She was injured. Can you think of anything more insulting? Like we didn't want you until she was injured. Now we want you. Oh yes, I'll come straight back. No, you wouldn't. Up yours. Um, uh, but John told Thomason, with hindsight, you can have real sympathy with the lad at the time. He's a young lad, chucked in up front, looked relatively frail, wasn't going to be able to play in your face centre forward. He was only 20. The fans didn't realise that it wasn't his best position. He was just a 20-year-old guy that was coming to Newcastle United. And, um, I mean, he got off to the worst possible start. He missed the guilt-edged opportunity 45 seconds into his debut against Sheffield Wednesday. Now, that doesn't endear the fans. I mean, he could have blown it into the net. Um, so that doesn't endear the fans. Um, in all, he only made 35 appearances, scored four goals, and 12 months later was sold back to Holland. Um, a complete flop here, not his fault in capital letters, and it's got to be said that he become a star. The ugly duckling who become a swan with both Feyenoord and AC Milan and AC Milan on bad, especially in those days. Playing where he wanted to play behind the main striker, he became Denmark's record goal scorer with 52 goals, captain of his country and winner of 100 caps. He scored over 300 goals in his career. So he was he was the absolute rarity of a man who flopped at Newcastle and went on to become the superstar he hoped to have been. Um, now manager Blackburn Rovers, as, as you know. Um, but there's no question that he flopped at Newcastle. There's no question that some of the criticism was unjust because he was a 20-year-old playing out of position. But for that, he's got to thank Kenny Dalglish. At the time, he was a 20-year-old, brought over here, didn't know next and out about him, replacing a, a hero, Les Ferdinand. Let's see what you can do, Bonnie lad. 45 seconds, Mr. Sitter. Career's going downhill here ever since. Couldn't get away quick enough. And just how bad he did at Newcastle was probably emphasised by the fact that a 35, 36-year-old John Barnes finished his top score for Newcastle that season with six goals. And that tells you a lot because you could almost put John Bonds and Ian Rush in this list of flops because at Newcastle they they weren't a success. But two of the greatest players that's ever played for Liverpool and two absolute utter legends, and I couldn't bring myself to put them in, in, in this list. I mean, you know, if John Donald Thomason was unlucky, how the heck can you... Bad mouthy in Rush and um, in Bonds. Mm. On to number nine then. You can bad mouth this guy. Oh yeah, well you guys might be able to then guess just who we're about to introduce. It is Michael Owen. I mean, I remember the day he was signed, I was in the Leaders End with uh, thousands of other people. Yeah. It was a surreal day and there was genuine excitement that they'd signed Michael Owen, but of course, us being fans didn't know what was going on behind closed doors and it, of it's came out, you know, since that he didn't, he never wanted to sign for Newcastle, did he? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And with hindsight, we didn't want him to when you think of what he did for us. Um, but, uh, I mean, this was a classic case of 
a club buying what they once saw but no longer existed and I'll, I'll explain that in a minute I mean he was 16 million he wasn't a, a world record then of course not um, but he was the club record beating the 15 million which was a, a world record for Alan Shearer uh, now I'd watched this lad as a kid as a teenager I covered the World Cup in France and watched him score a sensational goal against Argentina not another not the Faroe Islands or like New Zealand play Tonga or something this was England v Argentina slalom goal through sticking sensational he's 18 what a player but this was the kid at Liverpool. Now, I remember talking with Freddie Shepard when this... Uh, once Freddie had taken over as chairman from John Hall, who it was still John Hall's shares that owned the club, but John had retired. Uh, Douglas, his son, was didn't want to be chairman he wanted to be behind the scenes so he was vice chairman and freddie shep was put in as chairman but it was still the regime still belonged to hall but john hall had nothing to do with it freddie shepherd wanted to put his own mark on newcastle united he cared about the club of that there's no question he was a passionate jury etc etc and he thought what can we do what can we do you know taking the blinkers off looking at the whole world we, we had alan shearer let's go and get Owen Shearer was still there of course uh, and he went and got on but he thought that he was buying the Liverpool own he wasn't he was buying the new own the Liverpool own would never have been allowed to leave Real Madrid he wouldn't have been allowed to leave Liverpool probably uh, but he lost a yard of pace he'd had hamstring problems regularly he played off the, the, the last shoulder of the defender and it was his quickness now, when that went, losing a yard of pace, virtually all his game went out of the window and he was not the same man. Um, also, with Ein and, and we could see it, and he looked... He was a cold fish, was, was Michael. I mean, he was never... At Liverpool, where he was sensational, he was never loved like Robbie Fowler, who was adored because... Robbie was a warm character, an extrovert, and, and this little guy who wasn't. Uh, and there was a coldness around Michael that shouldn't matter, but it's not going to endear you to fans. To fans. He always looked as if he was here looking clean. He's admitted since, in recent times, that he didn't want to sign for Newcastle. And Newcastle put so much money his way, and nobody else was, and he wanted to go to Liverpool. That didn't quite work out etc etc and he, he came to Newcastle he was always here under sufferance um, in the end he let Shearer his best mate Shearer had a lot to do with him coming in fairness Alan Shearer tall Shep good player let's get him etc etc and in the end he let Shearer down very very badly when Shearer was manager for a few games and um, Owen was his skipper and he didn't play in, in key games at the end. Now, according to Michael, and they've fallen out over this big time, the way they hardly spoke, Michael said he wasn't fit. Alan Shearer said he was fit enough to play, but didn't want to 
aggravating injury because he was on a free transfer at the end of that season and he didn't want to jeopardise his next move. And as it happened, it was to Manchester United, if you remember, which was a good move. And Paul Ferris, who was the physio at the time, supported Alan's version of it rather than Michael's version of it. But, I mean, he, he captained Newcastle and his, his goals per game ratio was not bad. It wasn't a flop in the way that these others are flop. He scored 30 goals in 79 out, outings. But he was always injury-prone. His heart and soul wasn't in it. He left a bad taste in the mouth. And for me... He was as big a flop for us as Alan Shearer was a hero for us. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't forgive him. 30 out of 79 probably doesn't deserve you to be in the flops list. Attitude to Newcastle, indifference to Newcastle, reluctance to play for Newcastle, wouldn't play at the end of the season when Newcastle went down. Sorry, I could put him higher than nine. Uh, not on his goals record, but on his overall um, attitude to the Newcastle situation. Very, very disappointing. Mm. Let us know on Twitter or on email your thoughts on Michael Owen at Newcastle. Would you have him higher in your top 10 list of the biggest ever Newcastle United flops? Before we get on to number eight, just a reminder to please like and follow the podcast through your podcast provider. It is totally free to do, just means with every new episode we upload, you will get a notification to say it's ready to listen to or download. And leave us a rating and review as well. Just helps us get the show out to a wider audience and pass the pod on to your Newcastle United supporting friends and family. On to number eight, then John, who have you gone for? Yoshimoto. Uh, who a lot of fans will still remember, although maybe he's quite happy to forget. Um, then a very long list of misfiring strikers uh, of recent years. Uh, Rafa Benitez splashed out £9.5 million on the Japanese hitman, but he failed, for me, badly to make it at St James's Park. Um no goals record, 25 appearances uh, before he was farmed out on loan to Ibo in uh, Spain and top no trees there whatsoever and returned to his native Japan. Just looked short on all the essentials. Was quick, didn't have a good touch, wasn't devastating in the air, didn't have great vision. Didn't have a great attitude as well if you talk to certain people, you know, his lack of uh, willingness to to learn English. Now we've seen with Bruno Gomes, uh, you know he's oh. come in and he's 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 wanting to learn the language. We saw the benefit it's it's had on Joe Linton, who struggled at first, but now he's he's quite fluent yeah. in it. We've seen how yeah. he's come on. You speak to certain people, and Muto just just didn't seem interested or didn't put his heart into no, learning he it. No, he didn't. And you could no. often see on the pitch as well, you know, the manager trying, and then the players. I remember Matt Ritchie once screaming at him and and. and having to really use his, his hands to actually get the message across because mm. he just knew. I remember Muto just turning around and smiling at him and basically shrugging and it was like, and this, was, this wasn't this was early on, this was sure. a bit into sure. his career and you're thinking, sure. why haven't you learned the language? Scored it man you, didn't he? He um, did. Uh, but, but, you know, that, uh, that can happen. Um, yeah, I mean, you can score, but if your attitude's not there, then it's, it's not going to work, is it? Attitude or ability wasn't there. Uh, on ability as well, he was, he was short. There's I mean, absolutely no question at all. Um, and his attitude was as poor 
is Miggy Edelman's attitude is excellent. Mm. Uh, he wants to be a success. He tries everything. And that's why we'll always have a little bit of the heart of uh, Newcastle fans and more on. It's why Muto and Michael Owen, for that matter, will not. But again, another one who had a decent enough record from where he'd come from, you know, 20 goals and 66 for for Mainz over in, in Germany. It's not a, a bad record. And I, and sometimes I do wonder, you know, is, is it like you say, have said earlier in the show, it's just scouts and clubs. They see someone and think, well, he looks he looks decent. Mm. He's got decent numbers. And then it is literally just the roll of the dice. It literally is. There's absolutely no question about that. Um, signing players is a precarious job. Being a scout is a precarious job. You're putting your life on your on the line, on your judgment. And when managers used to sign players almost exclusively, doesn't happen now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Director of football. And your chief scout has probably got as much input as a manager these days. In the old days, a manager alone used to buy footballers. And the, in my time of following Newcastle, the best two judges of footballing flesh I've known have been Joe Hovey and Kevin Keegan, who were wonderful. Yes, both will have the minus, as, as uh, Bob Paisley was on about. It's physically impossible not to, but they bought well. Uh, And they they didn't buy... I mean, Joe didn't buy superstars. He made them into superstars. He bought people out of Bury, like McDermott, and uh, and out of Leeds Reserves, like Terry Ibbott, and uh, out of Luton, like Supermac, and turned them into stars. Keegan, the entertainers. Yes, Shiva was already what Shiva was, but he turned a lot of players into superstars. You also get the feeling with with Muto... It was a very difficult time. Benitez wasn't always happy. Ashley wasn't giving the funds to the managers. He arrived, really, and you're thinking, well, he arrived, he wasn't really wanted by the manager. And that, that, that can't help. I mean, that's not a good starting point, is it? You always no. got the feeling that the managers were just grateful for whatever they, could, that they, were, they, were, they were getting. No, that, that, I mean, that is very true. But there's people that come in Ashley times, regarding, regardless of whether the manager was Benitez or Bruce or all the rest, McLaren and all. There's people that come in that era uh, and played up front and were quality. Um, Rondon did a job for us without being a flair. Uh, Denver Ball, what a good player he was. Papi Sissi scored goals, always looked to punch above his weight to me. I always thought he didn't have as, enough, as much natural skill as his goals looked. I mean, he's at Chelsea, ridiculous. But Demba Ball, what a good player he was. And he played in difficult times for Newcastle. That's very true. But he had quality. Yeah. And um, from we, I mentioned earlier in the show that very few of these players on this list have, have got on to great things. But this man, you know hit the ground running once he left Newcastle and it is Florian Torvan he comes in at number seven John for whatever he did after he left Newcastle he certainly didn't do it while he was on Tyneside did he no no and and what we've got to try to do what I've tried to do in this list is isolate because and say what did this man do at Newcastle not what he'd done before or what he might have done later like John Dole Thomason but what he did here and this guy, I mean, I, I just remember him for turning up at um, 
in a match in, in a diggy bow tie in a I thought he'd come straight from a, a, a nightclub do or something like I used to when I was in my 20s and went into the Chronicle with a diggy bow tie on because, but I wasn't trying to play football for Newcastle United but I always remember him turning up he looked wonderful but he didn't look like a footballer yeah, sure I didn't think Newcastle. so no no he, he looked wonderful if it had been the previous night out on town looking the dog's dinner but he didn't look great appearing at a football match like that I mean he was a disaster for us uh, he was signed as a replacement for another inspiring winger Remy Cabela uh, he got one goal in 16 appearances and was quickly shipped back to, to France and uh, Wave, he did all right. Went back to Marseille uh, on loan and went permanently. Eventually went off to Mexico and got himself buried in Mexico. Um, but yet again, and we're in danger of repeating ourselves here, yet again another one of the French flops. And in the main, if you take them by number, like say 12 people come out of France, Cabela and the success, uh, sorry, uh, Kabai and the successes are smaller than the uh, than the the failures, and um, he would definitely come into failures, and so would the guy that I've rated one place above him. Mm. I mean, just on 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 Torvan, you know, sixty three goals and one hundred and fifty eight uh, for Marseille World Cup winner. He clearly had something about him. And yes. What 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 was it that you think just went wrong from in Newcastle? I think. There was a culture shock in ter- in football terms. I'm not talking about in personal life. In football terms, there was, there was a culture shock. It is a much tougher league than France's. I mean, you know, the French league is almost, almost like the um, Scottish now. You know, Paris Saint-Germain and then fill in. Um, Marseille were, in that time, have been a terrific side when... Chris, uh, when Chris Waddle was playing there, etc., and they got to the European Cup final, um, he was quite frail, built, um, which makes it difficult to, for it to happen in Newcastle unless you've got bundles and bundles of skill. And he had some skill, but it's at a certain level that he had skill. And uh, this, the physicality of playing here, a different league. Every match is tough. You can get some matches in France that aren't quite as tough and at it like Paris Saint-Germain or Marseille or etc. etc. Um, and it was just, he was nowhere near good enough. And, you know, he went back to Marseille and did well. He didn't go to another Premier League club and pull up trees. Uh, and none of them did outside of John Tall Thomason at AC Milan. That's not bad. Hmm. I always felt though Torvan could have could have done it in the Premier League. I was always waiting for that moment. And when we talk about who came in at number six, the man, as you have said, John, he replaced yeah. in, in Remy Cabela. When you look at the two, I always looked at Remy Cabela and just thought he's not cut out for this for this league. Whereas Torvan, I thought, you know, there is something there, and it was just it was just maybe you know the wrong time maybe. But with Cabela, um, who we'll, we'll get into now, I just I just you know, I don't know what there is to say. Just he just he he just never looked like he had any hope. In the top no, he flight. didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, yet he cost twenty four million pound. So I mean, that's a flop at twenty four million. It was difficult. 
if you were a good player, it would have been difficult because you were replacing Hatton Ben Arthur, who was a proper player. Frustrating as it's possible to be because he ought to have been a much better player than he was and he should have stamped himself on the history of this club and on football instead of being a nearly man, which, which Adam Ben Arthur was. But some of the goals, a couple of the goals Adam Ben Arthur scored for Newcastle were sensational. This guy, uh, 24 million to replace him. Uh, one goal and 31 appearances. Um, he, by the way, he wasn't 24 million. He was part of that 24 million double thing with Robin. He was 10 million. He himself was 10 million, but he was part of it, the package that Newcastle tried to get Cabela and Tovin together. Uh, back to Marseille. Unfortunately, we went to replace him again via exactly the same route and got Torben, who was better than him. Uh, but, I mean, there was nothing this, wasn't there, about these signings at this time. And we seemed to come up with so many of them and they all came out of France. And I've got to pinch myself and sit down and write the list down to remember them all because what you try to do is blank out a lot of people from your memory but they, they, they don't hold a special place in your heart unless they produce some fury like Owen does and others did hmm. Capella did win the player of the month award voted by Newcastle United fans in January 2015 so at least he went home with that certificate that I'm sure is hanging proudly on his wall um, <laughs> number five I mean this is going to be a short and sweet one this one I mean Marcelino yes 1999 signed 5.8 million from Mallorca and probably Newcastle fans who do remember him remember him for just being injury prone and a certain injury as well to his uh, little finger yes yes I mean it's, it's quite amazing uh, he, he made only 17 starts over four years at Newcastle and uh, he once famously missed a game uh, with a broken fingernail can you imagine that I mean, it was a fingernail. It was a fingernail. Oh, yes. So I was, oh, I've given him too much credit. I thought it was just a, his you little finger. At least he'd smashed it in three places. It was a fingernail, um, and you can imagine, you know, tough centre halves like Bob Monker or Frank Brennan, bless him if he'd still been around, etc., etc. John McNamee, look at is somebody playing in their position they would miss a match like that and say for goodness sake i mean he is insulting our profession of being sent off so that are desperate dance um no he was uh nowhere near he was supposed to be a ball player somebody that was good on the ball etc etc he was um liability who's remembered an awful lot because of that fingernail business went back to in the spanish second division uh retired 18 months later um is famous only for his little finger i'm afraid at newcastle but monumental flop in my opinion deserves a top five finish from one center back then john to another and you've gone for uh jane allen boom song signed from rangers for Eight million pounds just months after he arrived at the Ibrox on a free transfer. I mean, that's firstly very one of the most bizarre things as well. Um, he started all right though, didn't he? At Newcastle, he looked like he might actually 
be a decent defender, and then it just tailed off and it went down the pan. Tailed off very badly. And, and I mean, yeah, the the one thing none of us could get our heads round is that if he was such a good player, six months earlier, you could have got him for an out. But you let him go to Rangers and then you give Rangers eight million. And evidently, when Rangers got the money, they couldn't believe it. I think they, they thought they had wax in the ear and they'd heard wrong and they'd asked Newcastle again and said, yes, eight million. And Rangers said, oh, all right then. Uh, and that was it. He turned it out to be a huge liability and we shipped him out after just uh, 18 months. Um, amazingly, we, we managed to get 3.3 million from uh, for what was a calamitous centre-half. Uh, and he managed to blag himself a move to Juventus. Um, I, I thought it was Freibendus to start with, but it was Juventus, evidently, um, where he pulled up no trees whatsoever, of course, and um, he was one of these guys that stripped like a centre-half, in other words, he looked the part, but didn't play the part, uh, unmitigated disaster, and I know a friend of mine, Monty, uh, Paul Montgomery, who was... Um, Bobby Robson scouted Newcastle and did a lot of work for Alex McLeish, who uh, was a Rangers hero, a uh, Rangers legend, and he was with him at Birmingham City, saying that um, telling his Gibble Rangers couldn't believe their luck when the, when Newcastle offered that amount of money from him. And, you know, they couldn't get him quick enough, the deal done. Um, poor, awful, happens... We at least got 3.3 million of our 8 million back. How uh, did that? And how Juventus decided to... And I know it's a different world out there than to play it rather differently in uh, Serie A to our country. Well, they had, they had been relegated, though, if I remember correctly. They'd been relegated yes, to Serie B, I, so maybe yeah. that tells you more, doesn't it? Yes. I'm yes. sure if they were fighting for Champions League, they probably wouldn't have... Uh, no, no, I don't think you would take Boom Song. I think you're absolutely I right. I think we all remember one game, and I say I remember, I can't actually remember who it was against. My, my gut instinct is to say Liverpool... And I think that was one of the games where Boomsong was just absolutely ripped to shreds and he oh. made a few clangers. But there was lots of games, lots of examples of when we saw the real yeah. Boomsong. But as you say, he just he looked like he had something about looked him at the, the beginning. Looked, looked the part. And, but looks and, can be wasn't, wasn't the part. No. On to number three then. And at the start of the show, I mentioned that some of the names in this list, some people might be saying, well, we never expected much of them, and John explained why. And this was aimed at this man in particular, number three, which is Cisco. Um, yeah. I don't think we expected too much of him. So why is he so high in, up in your list? Because he's a centre forward. He costs five million, which is not going to break the bank in Monte Carlo, but isn't sort of uh, peanuts. Uh, and he spent five years... At Newcastle, uh, early sign was promising. He, he scored on his debut in a two-one win over Hull, but that's about as good as it got. And he didn't score again during a five-year stay with the club. If you spend five million for a centre forward who scores one goal in five years for you, I think you can attach the word flop next to his name. He was dealt a difficult hand, wasn't he? Because he was. Was he? He was kind of the player who really uh, kind of... That's why Kevin Keegan left, wasn't he? Because he was forced upon Kevin Keegan. Kevin Keegan didn't want to sign him, no, nor no. was it no, Gonzalez no. as well. 
Cisco arrived, you know, Kevin Keegan leaves. That game against Hull will stay with me for probably the rest of my life because it was toxic on the pitch, off the pitch. There was fans fighting with one another. It was yeah. something that I, I will never want to experience again. And hopefully in this new ownership, we will never have to experience anything like Absolutely. it again. It was Absolutely. an absolute disaster. So for all he scored, with everything that was going on around, it's probably not one that lasts long in the memory for him because no. the club was just on a downward spiral. It was horrendous. Oh, but I mean, these are the sort of things that become quiz questions, don't they? You know, Cisco scored. How many goals did Cisco score for Newcastle and who was it against? Which gives you the idea it was only one. Um, but yeah, I, and really, you know, it was fun doing this list, Andrew, because I had to actually sit down and force myself to remember. I mean, there was people that leaped out, leaped out at me like Owen and like, John Doldums for very different reasons and and a few of the others that really annoyed me uh, and a, a couple still to come that annoyed me and then you've got to sit down and think now have I left somebody out of this list because by the definition of a flop you almost forget they were here and and you've got to sit down and say yeah there was that guy Cisco wasn't there and there was that other guy so and so and you know that was the interesting thing on doing this and it was nice that's why, by the way, I boiled the list down to get it to 17. There was a lot more than 17 on the list when you made it, but I thought this is getting unwieldy here. Um, and so it was. But, uh, yeah, we're now into the big two. Mm. And, and number two is, for me, I, I feel harsh calling him one of the biggest flops. He does, if we're getting down to it, count as a flop. But I'd rather, if, if we were doing another episode and it was like the what may have been, he would be top of my list, and it is Simon De Jong. I thought when Newcastle signed him, they'd got an absolute bargain. Six million from Ajax. He looked quality. He was good on the ball. He was a leader. He could pick a pass. He could score goals. I was so excited. And then if you were talking I about it... I can hear you. Uh, I'm still excited, excited now yeah. thinking about it. You know, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, but then again, you're excited by Miggy Almeron. That's very so true. So your standards better get a bit higher, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> With Dijon, I mean, you know, the list of injuries he had, walking sick, no, and it was just so unfortunate. You know, usually if a player gets one of these injuries, you know, there was a thigh injury which kept them out from September to February. Then there was a collapsed lung. And then there was this bizarre... Uh, eye injury where his contact lens got yeah. pushed into his eye I and mean, one of them is bad enough but to have three that is that is a horrendous uh, run of luck yeah um, you're not showing any sympathy no I'm not because three goals and 34 appearances for Newcastle for a, a bloke you've just described in such terms I didn't know if we were talking about Maradona or Cruyff um, or Wood Hullet quite a player not a good manager but some player um, no, three goals and 34, won't have it. And he's, uh, I didn't do it just to annoy you, making him the second biggest flop when, when you don't consider him a flop at all, Andrew. That wasn't to offend you, my friend. Uh, it was uh, just to give you a little shock. I like tickling you from time <laughs> to time, whether it's Miggy Almiron or it's Sim Dijon. Um, no, uh, and again, we give him a six-year deal, we get carried away, you know... In this guy, I'm not meaning this guy, but I'm sweeping generalising on all the guys who've got out of France. You give somebody like Henry Server, you give somebody a six-year, five-year, six-year contract, 
they can get the cigar out and a bottle of champagne and you're made for life aren't you but I'm not mean, I'm not meaning this guy at all yeah but generalizing on these long 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 um, contracts we did but you look at you look at the rest of this list and Cisco for example never had had it he was never going to make it in the Premier League Cabela another one who was never going to make it you know but you look at Dijon and he had such talent and he really could have made I think the reason they give him a six year contract is yes to protect their investment but also because they felt they had captured one of Europe's best players and, and for what he'd done in Holland I know it's a different league and Millsborough fans uh, can tell you about one striker who hit the ground uh, like there was no tomorrow in Holland and then came over here and didn't do Absolutely. Uh, Alves Absolutely. but I genuinely thought they'd had signed one of the best players in Europe at this point and you know, it's just the injuries. The injuries cost them. And, and you can say, yes, three goals and whatever it was, 34, 35. But when you're hit with these amount of injuries, a stutter and run up to a, you know, it's like you're in the long jump, you've got to strut and run up. You're never going to get the record, are you? And it's it's like that in, in, in a way. No, I, I'm you're not having it. Well, no, no, because I wouldn't have them second if I, if I agreed with that. Uh, the one I felt uncomfortable with in the list of 17 was John Doll Thomason. Not because of what happened at the time. He was only 20. He had no real background outside of the word promise. Um, but what he became, uh, he was a proper player, but he was still a flop here. He can point at Kenny Dalglish, of course he can, but he was still a flop here. Three goals and 34, if he's good as you're saying he is, that's a horrendous record. Injuries. Injuries. No, but he's played 34 games and scored three goals. Well, I mean, I ask you. I mean, can you ever see Alan Shearer or Supermac or Ferdinand playing 34 games and getting three goals? Well, I don't know. I mean, I haven't got the numbers in front of us, but wasn't the, the, I'm sure Shearer did go on one or two bad, bad spells of form. Everybody goes, but in a bad spell of form. But to have form before it and have form after it. Alan Shearer's biggest bad spell of form was with England, where he didn't score for about fifteen games before he played for uh, Venables. In the Euro '96, yeah. Euro '96. Um, no, Dijon. I'm afraid uh, three goals and thirty-four. Sorry, son. Uh, the list has been compelled by me. When Andrew does his list, you will appear in number one in the should have been great uh, list. Genuinely, he he would do. He'd be. I think he would be my number one in, in in those of what may have been. Before we get to your number one of the biggest Newcastle United flops, mm. John, let's go back from seventeen down to two. Then, Manuel Riviere at seventeen, Dave Besson sixteen, Alex Bruce not that one at fifteen. Bill uh, Peterson at 14, uh, Mike Lonock at 13, Henry Savé at 12, Albert Luque at 11, John Dal Thomason rather begrudgingly at 10, um, not because we think he should be higher, but because he was just a little bit unfortunate. Number nine, Michael Owen. Number eight, Yoshinori Muto. Number seven, Florian Torverne. Rami Cabela at number six. Marcelino at number five. Join Alan Boomsong at number four. Cisco at number three. And the greatest player that never was, Sim Dijong at number two. <laughs> Who is your biggest Newcastle United flop then, John? Stefan Givos. And the reason for that is very, very simple. For me... There's failures, there's big failures, there's gigantic failures, and then there's Givos. Um, because this guy, this club has been built on number nine legends. 
we sign a guy who immediately after we signed him, and I mean immediately after I signed him, played centre-forward for France and become a World Cup winner. And he came to Newcastle and was an absolute abject failure. Um, and therefore, not only are you a flop, but you're a huge, huge disappointment because you're a World Cup. How many World Cup winning centre-forwards have Newcastle had in the past and then have flopped in the way this fella flopped? I mean, it was unbelievable. And I remember so much of it because I covered the 1998 World Cup finals in France and um, he just signed for Newcastle at the time. And I thought, oh, brilliant. Newcastle got a centre forward. I'm going to watch in France were one of the favourites uh, to win the World Cup. And in fact, did win it. And I thought, this is terrific. Uh, so out I went, full of anticipation. That Not only was I going to see, perhaps, a Newcastle United number nine legend of the future, but I was going to get a few stories to send back home because our new signing was going to be France's leader and France were one of the firm favourites to win the trophy. So I thought this, and I thought it was my birthday when I arrived in Paris, got to the hotel, uh, stuck my stuff upstairs, went down to the bar and there's this guy in the bar who was called Peter Story, who at the time was a scout for West Ham. And I knew him because he was a high-profile guy out of London, scouted for West Ham. He later became the chief executive at Portsmouth during the time when Harry Redknapp, who was, was his mate, was the manager of Portsmouth and they won the FA Cup. Portsmouth won the FA Cup with Harry Redknapp, chief executive Peter Story, uh, who was at West Ham. Now, he was, at the time, was sort of West Ham's um, green car. He was situated in France, got the big stars out of France. There he is. Hello, Gibble. What do you want? Oh, have a white wine at the bar. And I thought, oh, nice story here. I'll get this fella to tell me how good Givosh is. I said, uh, you'll have noticed Newcastle have signed Stefan Givosh and he's playing for France in this World Cup. You know this, this league well. How good is he? And I thought, here's a story. I got my pen and paper out, you know, this is on the record. And he said, Gibbo is rubbish, he said. He said, not good enough for the Premier League, either physically or talent-wise. He said, will not cut the mustard, scored goals in this league because this league is his level, but he'll not score goals at Newcastle United where you're used to all the people you're used to. So my book went straight back in my pocket and I was absolutely deflated. I wasn't going to send a story back to the Chronicle saying Newcastle United have just bought somebody that will be eventually at the top of my flops list uh, X number of years later. So there wasn't a story out of the thing. And unfortunately, Peter Story told me a, told me a story. He told me the exact story because... Um, I then watched this guy play centre-forward for France and this was a quality team. Had all the great players that were in that team from Zinedine Zidane who was at his shoulder around 
the Arsenal players in midfield, etc., etc. And I watched France steamroller all the sides right up to winning the World Cup on home soil. And he was selected at centre forward in every single match that France played and didn't score one goal in the whole of the tournament. Now, how often can you get a number nine of a side that wins the World Cup and doesn't score once? I'd been used with Ronaldo, not this one, the Brazilian one, playing for Brazil, scoring a hatful. And he played in this final, by the way, and I'll come to that in a minute. But Givosh started every game, failed to score in every game, and always came off between the hour mark and the 90-minute mark and was substituted um, and I thought oh dear 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 in the final by the way and it, only in passing because the final was one of the most amazing finals there's ever been it was against Brazil uh, when this Ronaldo was centre forward Ronaldo who played for Bobby Robson at uh, um, Barcelona uh, I remember the team she'd come out an hour or so like it always does before the game I'm up in the press box and there's no Ronaldo in the Brazil team you're saying what you know the greatest player they've got the man that scores all the goals is not in the team and then all of a sudden 20 minutes later another team sheet comes out and Ronaldo oh it's a correction and Ronaldo is in the team what had happened which nobody knew and it only come out after the final he'd actually had a fit at the team hotel overnight and um, whew, caused absolute chaos and they thought he couldn't play he was so big to the team they played him he played like a zombie he, he, he was totally ineffective France won 3-0 despite the fact that Marcel Desailles was sent off uh, Givas did what he always did which was playing not score um, and it, but it was one of the most sensational finals ever. Um, you then think he come to Newcastle. Uh, Kenny Dalglish signed him, uh, ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Uh, big beating of the gong, etc., etc. But Dalglish disappeared over the brow of the hill almost before we got underway. In uh, income, Wood Hullard who ironically had criticised Gibos when he was playing for France in the World Cup finals. He was on a panel, uh, Hulet, and he, he criticised him. He then come in as manager and he wouldn't have him. He demoted him to training with the reserves, which is some humiliation for a World Cup winning centre forward. And in four months he was, he was uh, offloaded to Rangers. Uh, he started two games for Newcastle, played another two games as a sub, scored one solitary goal. Uh, and that's a record of a World Cup winning centre forward at Newcastle. Uh, I mean, if Scottish football is, is below the Premier League, give us still failed to flourish in Scotland for a team like Rangers. 19 games played for seven go uh, goals, lost in France, way back home. Uh, Yesterday's man, um, unbelievable, and it was quite controversial that he was picked every single game for France, um, even in France, because he wasn't scoring. Yeah, I mean, 
it just sounds bizarre that like a man with such a I'm going to say pedigree if you look at the, the numbers you know he wins the title in 95 96 he's golden boot winner in 96 97 97 98 he also wins the uh, the UEFA golden boot across all you know the countries in the, the 97 98 season that's obviously why he's picked for France in the World Cup I mean you know you there's there's it's one thing being deemed you know, not strong enough, you don't have the ability, but just, I mean, you've still got to score a lot of goals to get those accolades, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, but how many people that's in this list scored a lot of goals in France, in the French League? I mean, the level of football out there, the, the top leagues in Europe are the Premier League, the La Liga, Serie A, and the Bundesliga. The rest of European football is not at the level of those four leagues. There's good teams, Ajax in, in Holland, Paris Saint-Germain in France, Marseille in the past, etc., etc. But he, he never cut the mustard at Rangers, which was a, a, a division down, I would suggest, from the Premier League. And he, he, he didn't cut the mustard there. In the French side, he didn't cut the mustard. The manager, was, was Jacques, was very stubborn, he liked him to hold the ball up uh, and he, he had Zidane. I mean, if you have Zinedine Zidane and you've got behind him Desailles and Petit and Vieira, yeah, I mean, you can carry an average player. And, and he is a lucky, he should go to Zinedine, he should phone Zinedine Zidane every night, even now, and thank him for making him a World Cup winner. So there was no surprise then, after three, four months, Rudolph moved him on. No surprise whatsoever. It's one of the few things Rudhuller did right. And Rudhuller didn't like forwards because he used to be a good one himself and he didn't like uh, Ferguson and he didn't like Shearer uh, and he didn't like Rob Lee. Was it not, was it not but he got it right with Givos. He didn't get it right with him. Was it not a moment when he scored on his debut against Liverpool? You thought, hey, maybe. No, it was a poor goal. Uh, he shinned it in, didn't he? Yeah, 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 it was a poor, poor goal. And you've got to bear in mind, I'd watch him through all the World Cup, and you've got to bear in mind, I'd talk to Peter Story, who I rated as a, a guy who knew football flesh and who hadn't an axe to grind because the conversation was off the record. Once he wasn't saying wonderful things, it was off the record. And um, so on with what Story thought of him, what my eyes showed me, and then what he did at Newcastle, no. And... Why I justify him being top of the list? Because you have a World Cup winner, centre forward, in the land of number nine legends, in your flop. You've got to be the biggest flop of the lot from that standard, World Cup winner, to flopping at Newcastle. You've got to be the biggest flop of all of them. So and by the way, just for the record, he was voted in a national paper in this country a national paper with no axe to grind, not a Newcastle paper. The worst Premier League signing ever. There we have it. Yep. Can't argue with that. So there are Newcastle's biggest ever flops. John's list of 17. We'd love your feedback. You can tweet me over on Twitter at ADM Musgrove. Or drop me an email at andrew.musgrove at reachplc. Dot com and I'll pass any feedback on to John. Quick reminder to please like and follow the podcast once again. We do appreciate it. 
head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep updated with all the latest Newcastle United news. Uh, keep safe out there and thank you very much for tuning in. <laughs>